Hello, folks, and welcome to another Gazillion Voices Radio Conversation. My name is Kevin Vollmers, your host and executive director of the Minneapolis nonprofit organization Gazillion Strong. Joining me today via the phone is Aja Gildersleeve of Black Lives Matter Minneapolis. Thank you for chatting with me. Uh, thanks for having me, Kevin. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Since uh, you know, I've participated in a few of your um, activities, uh, the Black Lives uh, Matter activities in the last few months, so I, I kind of feel like I sort of know you, but... <laughs> uh, so, and I, I have a feeling a lot of people feel as though they kind of sort of know you too. So, um, but that's, just that's in great. case, it's a community. That's that's how I wanted to feel. We need to know each other in this movement. Yeah, so I yeah. Appreciate you saying that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, if you could just, uh, I mean, beyond what you do at Black Lives Matter Minneapolis, uh, what else do you do? I don't know what to call myself, honestly. But some people would call me a community organizer. Uh, I am also a media person in terms of uh, I create media and I help um, provide the tools for youth to be connected to media and learning how to make that. Um, and I also like help people get access to technology and the literacy skills that they need to navigate around that technology. Um, so yeah, I consider myself a, an artist and a community activist and connector. Very cool, very cool. So uh, let's get back to uh, Black Lives Matter Minneapolis. Um, again, this, mm-hmm. these questions might seem very rudimentary to you, but um, just in case you know people who are not familiar, uh, they should be by this point, but just in case. Uh, so when did Black Lives Minneapolis start? Why did it start? And what does it do exactly? Okay, so I, I want to actually like step back and give credit to Alicia Garza, who um, spearheaded the Black Lives Matter movement after George Zimmerman was acquitted for the Trayvon Martin murder. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a you know a strong black sister who had um, started this off of, you know, she saw that there's a need in bringing attention to black lives that are, you know, blackness is just set up for demise in this country. And so she came up with the term Black Lives Matter um, that's rooted in the experiences of black people in this country who actively uh, resist our dehumanization. And Black Lives Matter is a call to action in response to um, anti-blackness and anti-racism that perpetuates in our society. And so it started started out with that. And after after Ferguson had... Um, the non-indictment of Darren Wilson that happened in Ferguson, there was also a lot of protests and a lot of actions happening in Ferguson that were going on. And that led to to bring it back here locally to my personal experience. After the non-indictment of Darren Wilson, I had met it that night. It was Really, I don't know how to explain it. It was uh, there was a lot of emotions going on with a lot of people who has were surrounding me. Um, that it was just it was just crazy to see that this officer had, with all the facts, you know, going against this officer that he still got off, and that 
Um, Michael Brown was laid there on the street for four hours without any uh, attention to his body. Uh, and just it just showed the dehumanization and for the world to see that our lives are not valued. And at that moment, that was what sparked a fire in me. And personally, I felt like I had to do something. I could no longer um, be silent. I can no longer stand by and let my brothers and sisters die in front of me that easily um, without any without anything happening like it might as well just be we might as well just be getting lynched at this point these are people that are supposed to protect and serve us but yet they're killing us every 28 hours it's either a police officer a vigilante a security officer every 28 hours a black person is killed and that is we can't stand for that that's not okay And that's when that night um, that fire had sparked and I met with uh, at Neighborhoods Organizing for Change, uh, Knock. That's where I met Misha Grimm and some other friends. And we had saw that there was going to be a rally the next day in light of what had happened, in light of the non-indictment. There is a a rally put on uh, by another organization. And we saw that there is over thousands of people that were going to attend this rally and we had a lot of feelings of, okay, this is just going to be, you know, kind of, it seemed like it would be more like a pep rally where the same thing happened with Trayvon Martin. There, a bunch of people showed up to protest at the government center, thousands of people. And then we went back to business as usual. And we said, no, we got to start doing something deeper, something more, something that um, is really going to stop business as usual. And that's when... Misha had said we should do a die-in on the highway, and from then on, I was like, yes, this is the kind of stuff that we need to do, because the people that need to be listening are not the ones that are, the people that are perpetuating the system and the ones that need to, to hear this and to be affected by this are not affected by it at all, because they they have the privilege to not feel the pain, they have the privilege to not know what's going on, and we, we can't have that, and so we said, yeah, let's Let's um, shut down the highway, Highway 55, and then from that night, we took over that highway, and thousands of people joined, and we're in solidarity. And after that highway action is when we created a Facebook page that generated thousands of followers, and that's where Black Lives Matter Minneapolis was was born, the Minneapolis chapter. Uh, One of the points that you just mentioned is this notion of business as usual. And um, I mean, business as usual is it's kind of hard to get beyond, right? Because you have to keep pushing. What is motivating you beyond just the movement? What do you, what do you foresee that's coming up that is motivating you to so that people can you know get off their seats and get beyond the concept of business as usual? Uh, what is motivating me is my the level of consciousness that I ha- that has evolved with inside of me, like. Um, just knowing that there's a system of racism that's embedded in our policies. It's it's no longer, you know, colored and white water fountains. That language now is coded within our institutions, within our systems. Mm. And what is really upsetting is that people don't see that. 
people think people are colorblind, so to speak. They call themselves colorblind, not knowing that that, that is problematic. You know, Minnesota is seen as one of the best places to live. Politico just released something that said we're the best state in the nation. Right. Um, I've seen so many articles that have said we're the best state in the nation, and that narrative has always stuck with us, and there's this huge elephant in the living room that we don't talk about in Minnesota. And so that just gives people the idea that everything is peachy for everybody when that's not true. We are the number one despaired when it comes to people of color and whites, especially particularly blacks. We are the top five for the worst place to live for blacks. And that language and that narrative is not spoken enough. People don't see that. And so what happens is we have these policies and we have – People on the streets, black folks, people of color who are getting constantly profiled by the police, constantly ending up in our uh, judicial system and ultimately being incarcerated at a disproportionate rate. And that is something that happens so often, too often in our black communities and our communities of color. But the people that were so segregated here in Minneapolis that you can live here and not even have to know that narrative. Right. You can live here and not even have to know the struggle that the communities of color are going to, through, which are deep and rooted in our history and is, are still very present with us today. And so the why it's so important for me is People need to know that, and it's harder because it's not the 50s where people, where it says, you know, we can just point to a water fountain and say, look, that's racist. Now it's so coded, you know, um, there's a, um, I can't remember, it was a Republican that said, you know, we can't say the N-word. What we need to do is change that. Now we can't say the N-word in public. What we need to do is change that and say, um, what is it, like, welfare, you know, you get the picture, you know, changing changing that to, to have coded language so we take race out of it, but right. the racial implications are still there. You mentioned something, again, that it's very striking to me, is that you talked about that list from Politico or all the other publications out there saying, you know, Minnesota is one of the top five or whatever places to live. And what's striking to me about those lists are that they're very white lists, and they are lists geared towards white folks who feel comfortable here and white folks who outside of here who are very comfortable. But again, from your experience and what you have seen and efforts that you have made in the recent months, what would you say to people looking into Minnesota? What would you say to them that would kind of undermine those lists that say Minnesota is the place to live? I would tell them to to look for the truth because the truth is there. You can look for lists that say Minnesota is the great, sure, it's the great, but you know what? They didn't say it's in the fine print, or they should really say in the title, it's Minnesota is the best place to live for whites. Hmm. Because if you look at other statistics, if you look at profiling rates um, that were just released by the ACLU, um, youth who are, um, like, like they took loitering, for example, example, loitering, Every youth does that of color, right? Every youth that are, I'm sorry, that are not of color, mm-hmm. white youth do it too. They all all do stuff like that. Right. Um, if you look at it, the rates are very disproportionate for youth of color who are targeted like that. Same goes with, with anything that has to do with, with profiling. Um, who ends up getting convicted for crimes more ends up being blacks and people of color. And our statistics will show that. You know, when it comes to home ownership, you'll see the statistics of the disproportions between home ownership with whites and people of color. Mm-hmm. Same goes with employment. 
we are the number we are most unemployed compared to whites. So when you look at those, when you look at those disparities, then you can decide whether Minnesota is the best place or not to live. Um, you look at the statistics. If it says you know sixty percent, sixty to seventy percent of whites are homeowners, yet you know if it's under twenty percent, under probably less than twenty percent for blacks, then you decide what what is a better chance for you to live in Minnesota. You have to pick. If you're a white person, yeah. If you're a person of color or black, probably not. Right, right. And you know this that's going to have to change because. The census data tells us that in 2050, this country is going to be majority people of color. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be majority white anymore. It's going to be majority people of color. So when you have those disproportions and when you have those disparities, what is that going to look like for your children to come? It's not going to be a good picture because injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere, and that's going to play out. So getting back to um, Black Lives Matter in Minneapolis, I I know that there have been a lot of misunderstandings, and it's one of the big misunderstandings I've seen just, you know, chant that other people do when people say Black Lives Matter, which is all lives matter. Can you talk about uh, the misunderstandings that you have seen and the misunderstanding that perhaps even uh, the media have portrayed onto you or anybody else for that matter? I try not to pay attention to the trolls on social media, but Mm -hmm. it, it pops up a lot, and a lot of them will... You know, I have a lot of people posting on my post when I post about Black Lives Matter, and they say all lives matter. And there's actually a really good image on Facebook that I use all the time, and it's, yes, all lives matter, but we're focused on the black ones now, okay? Because it's very apparent that our judicial system does not know that. And if you can't see why black lives matter is important, then you're a part of the problem. Right. Okay, so that's the whole thing. People, like I said, people don't understand that racism exists. They don't want to see their privilege as white folks particularly don't want to understand that white privilege is a real thing, that we still have implications from from, hist- from uh, implications from our history, from slavery and genocide, that if you were white, you still are benefiting from that system, this system that was built off of blood shed, this system that was built off of um, racism, is still very very relevant to our society today, but people cannot understand that. They cannot make that connection. And, you know, they don't teach that in the schools either. So where are you going to get this information? And so that's why it's people, I can understand why folks are saying all lives matter and they don't really get that the racism is real and it's disproportionate for black lives. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, that's a problem that we're fighting against is just that that knowledge, you know, that truth, that truth that has been has been hidden, so to speak, for those who are not conscious about it, for those who don't have access to that information, for those who don't want to know that information, for those who want white supremacy, the legacy of white supremacy to basically carry on. It related to all what you just said, and some of the tactics that you have done is to obviously close down down Highway 55 and, uh, you know, Interstate 35W was closed down at one point. I think folks misunderstand exactly what the intention of those efforts are. Could you could you talk about them? Uh, I think I mentioned this a little bit early, mm-hmm. and I can expand on that. But the the big thing is to disrupt business as usual. So these actions, you know, it's there's thousands of people that show up to these actions because they believe in what we're doing and they're in solidarity with what we're doing, and that said something. And these are people from all different backgrounds. 
you know, we have people from all different identities. From all, Actually, it's not even just us locally. It's people all around the world. If you look, we have solid solidarity in Palestine and England and all over. There's people in thousands who are demonstrating in, in um, solidarity with black lives. And that says something. And the reason why people are so upset is because we're literally being killed every 28 hours mm-hmm. and more. We're be- this is something that needs to stop immediately. These are lives. These are lives that are being taken. And people just go about their lives because they they're not being affected, and they can just live safe and protected and be served. And so they're not concerned. And so that's something that needs to stop. Like we need to tell people, um, the public needs to know that there is going to be no peace until there's peace for everyone, for every family that that can be able to live in this world. And that's something that's going to take, you know, stopping people's days, disrupting their day, disrupting what they're doing, disrupting the news. We're going to show up in the news every time. We're going to show up, you know, on your highway. We're going to show up on your sidewalks because that's a part of awakening people. And another part of that is, you know, the direct action, and that's what we've been really successful at, and that's what we've been really prominent in, is getting mm-hmm. people out to um, to use their bodies to demonstrate and to um, share, the, to, to be heard. And another part of it is we also have demands, um, and we're going to be taking our demands to the legal systems and the policy systems which govern us and which are also important, as equally as important as uh, public awareness. Uh, you've touched upon, obviously, some of the larger um, goals that you have, but in the next, like, three months or six months or two years, what does Black Lives Matter Minneapolis hope to accomplish? Uh, so we, we actually do have a list of demands that we're going to be working on and evolving, but our basic demand is the immediate end of unjust police murders of unarmed black people. We need Minnesota to take these urgent measures to eliminate our worst racial disparities in this that we have in this country like we have the worst racial disparities we need our um leaders we need our policy leaders we need our political leaders to to not be silent anymore and to speak about this and to start making this an immediate action that they Im- implement within bills and within policies and within and what they carry out in their campaigns and we have we want to adopt a statewide legislation to end racial racial profiling by law enforcement. We want to require all law enforcement officers to take implicit bias and cultural competency training. We also want to establish an independent community review board for police officers. Um, we want police officers to look like the community that they serve. Mm. There are a lot. There are too many white officers and not enough officers of color. And another thing is a lot of people don't know that 90 over 94% of officers that serve in Minneapolis don't actually live in the city or don't actually live in the communities that they serve. Right, right. And so that's something that we want to implement. We want to to start pushing these things because it's law enforcement that is making a huge impact on our communities by taking our lives and by, you know, incarcerating us at an alarming rate, and we need to end that. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that those are things that we're going to be focusing on. And then there's also, like I said, you know, we're the worst when it comes to health, education, and um, when it comes to employment. So these are 
things that we're going to be bringing to light. We want people to know that racism exists, and we're going to be talking about it. There's no more elephant in the living room. This movement is going to bring that out. Uh, Oprah Winfrey recently went out and said the strategies and tactics taken by you know folks behind various Black Lives Matter movements, uh, she doesn't necessarily believe that those are the best approaches. What is your response to someone like Oprah? Again, I mean, I, frankly, I, I personally don't care what Oprah thinks. Uh, but um, what, what is your response to someone like uh, Oprah, who has a very big uh, microphone, and a lot of yeah. folks listen to her? What is yeah. your response to someone who says, you know what, Black Lives Matter Minneapolis, let's just say that she pointed you out and said, Black Lives Minneapolis, the tactics that you've taken in the last few years, they are not helping the cause. What would you say to someone like her? Um, so first of all, I'm going to say that uh, I look up to Oprah uh, I always have. She's, you know, a black woman who was in the media as I was growing up, and there was no one at her skin tone that had that much power in the media at that time. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I appreciate her, and I, um, corroborate, I, I corroborate her for that because that is something that we need to see more of. Um, another thing is I would, you know, encourage Oprah because I feel like she's, you know, she's in a different place. I, I would encourage her to come on the ground here to, to Minneapolis and to Ferguson and see what these young organizers of color are doing and how we're connecting and building in communities, how we're um, leading out these really tactical actions that are actually very organized and that, you know, have been moving a lot of awareness and that have been moving, you know, politicians to think about this. Um, I would ask, I would urge Oprah to to come down here and, and um, just really experience what these actions are like before making a judgment. Because I feel that the only disconnect is that she hasn't been on the ground. And mm-hmm. so it's hard to make a judgment when you can't really experience or see how these tactics and how these actions are playing out from a grassroots level. You know, and it's way too early to even speak on what what's going to happen because this this movement is not going to... This is a the system that we're working on is a a monster that was that has been built over since the beginning of this country, and we need to we need to break that, and that's not going to be an easy fix. But I would encourage people to really understand how much has changed within the last couple months than within years. You know, we have so much funding in Minnesota. I'm just going to use Minnesota as an example. We have so much grant funding. We're one of the top-funded states when mm-hmm. it comes to, um, you know, grant money and foundational money. Yet we have – why are we still – we have been for a long time, but why are we still the number one despaired when we have all this money into equity and we have all this money into racial disparities? You know, these the, things are not happening radically enough, and mm-hmm. I think – the young organizers, the young black and POC organizers of this movement have been moving more that than has been happening over the last decades. Um, and you we'll see that. We'll see that when history plays out and when the future comes, we'll see what this movement has done. But we can't really speak on it right now because, you know, there's time to see what change is going to come. Right, right. Well, um, I am much older than you are, and I have been on the ground with all of you, the young organizers, and I have been inspired by you personally. I, um, I was t- uh, my partner and I have been out there a few times, uh, following your lead and following your efforts. And for me, I keep thinking about you know if I was because I'm a person of color as well, and I think you know if I would have seen someone like the young 
active and passionate activist behind Black Lives Matter Minneapolis, I would think, you know, my life probably would have been different at this point. And so it's really good to see folks like you out there. And the passion that you have is, it's incredible. It's amazing. And I think I'm not alone in saying that. So please keep up the great work. Thank you so much for saying that. Because that means, that means a lot. That means everything. Because, yeah, there is a lot of backlash and a lot of, you know, people who are older who have a lot of critiques about what we're doing. And it's, and those are valid. Some of them are valid, and we need to hear that. And at the same time, we need to hear, you know, like exactly what you just said, because that's important too. And it just it helps validate what we're doing. And it just, I'm really heartfelt. I'm really glad that you said that. Personally, I just want to thank you for um, even having the courage to be out there and following our lead and trusting our leadership and participating and being out there with us. Yeah, it's you're, uh, you're just as awesome <laughs> for being there. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, yeah, but um, seriously, I, I I truly mean it. Um, people like myself, we are happy to follow, and so keep up the great work. And are there last uh, statements that you would like to make, especially for people um, who might be listening who have been following you? Yeah, so for the people that are following us, thank you very much. And yeah, this is history we're making, and <laughs> you're a part of it. We're all a part of it. We all need to build. We all need to love each other and support each other. So let's keep doing that. And unified, we're going to be a powerful force. And we're really going to be making some changes for, you know, our kids in the future. And that's why I'm doing this work is because I care about the little ones who are going to be coming after us that have to live in this world. And so thank you for being a part of that. And I also want to let people know that are, you know, on the fence or wanting to know how they can get involved to check out our Facebook page. Um, it's just facebook.com slash black lives matter Minneapolis. And then if you want to participate in actions, uh, text black at black lives to two, three, five, five, nine, and you'll get, um, alerts of our upcoming actions. And it'll be great to have you at those actions. And also we're going to be having events to help build community, especially in POC communities. We have a new series that we started called, uh, building a black movement, uh, Can I Live, Building a Black Movement, a community mm. gathering where we get together and we talk about um, different topics ranging from direct action to internalized oppression and self-care. And, um, yeah, we just want to build together and we want to do have this be a dynamic movement that involves everybody's skills and everybody's contributions. So there is a lot of ways for everyone to plug into this movement. So please connect with us. Fantastic. Well, uh, thank you again for joining the conversation, and uh, we'll be following you. Yes, thank you so much, Kevin. I appreciate you. Yeah, take care. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yep. Bye.